Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 155 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. There's a lot to go over. A little bit of a spoiler I'm going to give you straight away. The review part is going to be quite lengthy because there was a lot of boxing that happened last weekend. So if you don't like to hear me go over old ground, I don't blame you. And probably you should fast forward right now. But um, without without wasting too much time, let's just dive straight into the review part. I'm going to start at the Gold Coast Convention Center in Queensland, Australia. A couple of fights to mention over here. Um, just the one, actually. Lucas Brown returned to the ring. Um, he got a KO in the third round against Julius Long. Lucas Brown now 26-1. and one. Um, Long actually had a point taken away in the second round for holding and then he was decked in the third round. A beautiful picture that uh, Lucas Brown's posted of, um, of Julius Long. He's such a tall guy and he's just laying there through the ropes. He looks really good. Um, obviously he, he was in a bad state but a brilliant picture for Lucas Brown there. Um, his record like I say 26 and one. Uh, moving over now to China. One fight to mention at the Changsha Social Work College Gymnasium. Zalil Zhang, the um, the former opponent of Anthony Joshua in the amateurs. Um, he moved to 20-0. and 0. He defended successfully his WBO Oriental Heavyweight title, a TKO in the third round against Don Hainsworth. Uh, Hainsworth now 15-3 and three with one draw. Zalil Zhang, we need to see you stepped up, sir. Uh, the time is ticking now. That's it for China. Moving over now to Ghana. One fight to mention over here, our very own Ashley Fiafane, the man that holds the most wins of any um, any other British boxer out there. He picked up win number 44, a TKO in the fourth round against Frank Dodzi. We did say this on last week's show that Dodzi had 10 fights in a row against guys that didn't even have a single win between them. All 10 of them, no wins. So a very padded record, and he's been knocked over there in four rounds by Ashley Fiafane. That's win number 44. He's got eight losses and one draw. Moving over now to the King of Sports City in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. I'm trying to go through this as quick as possible. Uh, let's start with the Chris Eubank Jr. fight. His record now 27-2. and A retirement in the corner from JJ McDonough. His record now 16-5. and um, An interesting fight, I as for me. Because I felt that it was very competitive while it lasted. And then it seemed to just end out of nowhere. Obviously, McDonough, I think he was saying it was a shoulder injury, I believe. Um, and then, obviously, the post-fight interview was pretty out of hand to be honest but the fight itself was actually pretty competitive it really did surprise me but we did all expect and predict a Eubank stoppage and that is ultimately what happened what did you make of the fight eyes while it lasted um I think it was a very good fight obviously I think it was just a warm-up fight for uh, Chris Eubank Jr because he said he's got a big fight coming up soon so yeah I think it was a very good fight for Chris Eubank Jr obviously a lot didn't happen but well done to Chris Eubank Jr for winning the fight 
Yeah, I mean, the fight itself, I don't want to go into it too much, but I felt that Eubank was clearly losing that first round. He was trying to box, which isn't really his game, and J.J. McDonough, uh, the much bigger man, and obviously a southpaw, so he did pose a few problems early on. Um, so, yeah, I thought he was winning the, the round pretty easily. McDonough was having success with his jab, and then Eubank literally just countered McDonough with a glancing left hook. It didn't really seem to carry much power at all, and it was also on the blind side of the camera, so the home viewers didn't really even see a punch left. And the commentators even said that they thought, from their angle, that he perhaps injured himself or something because there was no clear um, punch landed. But when we saw the replay, it was just a real small shot on the temple that seemed to, uh, to, to you know, mess up um, McDonough's balance, and he did go down. Um, so yeah, very, very bad there. A real shame for him to be winning the round and then obviously to to get dropped from a, a small shot like that. So a 10-8 round there for Eubank. In the second round, McDonough probably won that round for me um it wasn't looking at that point like the demolition job that we all thought it would be and the third round like i say eubank came into the fight it was a fairly competitive round but in the latter part of the round eubank was starting to land hurtful shots and for me um he probably did just edge that round and then mcdonough retired on his stall like i say it came out of nowhere uh, the crowd were booing there was no apparent problem with mcdonough to the naked eye and we were waiting to hear what had happened and then it actually was revealed when chris eubank jr was was interviewed in the ring afterwards and he didn't look pleased at all eubank um, like I say, didn't really look himself boxing-wise. He was pretty much on the back foot the whole fight, but he was saying that he wanted to get some rounds in, so maybe that was the case. But it was a little bit too competitive for my liking. Obviously, uh, there's all sorts of fights that Eubank Jr. has now been linked with, Degau, Rocky Field, and the rest of it. But I felt that the post-fight interview was quite shocking from the interview. I forgot the guy's name. I think it could be Gabriel Clark, possibly. I don't want to um, bring the wrong person into this, but real bad interviewing from... Uh, uh, from my point of view, I mean, he, he basically asked Eubank what the problem was. Eubank went on to say that McDonough has apparently injured his shoulder or whatever it was. I think it was a shoulder or an elbow. And then um, he basically expressed a little bit of doubt and and he wasn't too sure if McDonough was faking it or not. And then the interviewer just waved McDonough over to basically say, here, listen what what Chris Eubank just said about you. And it was just real kind of... Um, a little bit snaky there. I think he, he really put Eubank in a in a very uncomfortable position, and then you know he got he got JJ McDonough in there and he made him look a little bit silly. And Eubank kind of painted a picture that McDonough quit, and the interviewer um, I felt kind of exhilarated things really by doing that. And it was it was just an uncomfortable watch altogether. And I can only imagine what McDonough felt because he was made to look a bit of a clown, to be honest. And then um, you know. McDonough then felt like he was being made to look like an idiot and then he decided to go off the rail a little bit himself and all the teams jumped in to break it up. Um, really unnecessary from the interview. I felt that it could have been avoided. Um, but what I did pick up on, and a lot of people didn't notice this, when Chris Eubank Jr. was asked about a potential fight with James DeGaulle later this year, he responded by saying these words. He said, that's a fight I'm looking forward to. Then he paused and said, trying to make. So he said, that's a fight I'm looking forward to trying to make happen <laughs> so he basically slipped up there uh, it would seem like the fight is perhaps going to be happening um, we'll have to wait and see though not too much else to mention on the undercard it was funny because a lot of people were saying that this place holds about 20 people no exaggeration people thought it was going to be 20 people it was going to be even smaller than the match from monte carlo shows no it actually looked pretty big there um 
The main event, though, George Groves, 28-3, put his WBA Super World Super Middleweight title on the line against Callum Smith, 24-0, undefeated. He put his WBC Diamond crown on the line. Uh, we all picked Groves to win on points. Um, pretty much no one was really giving Smith a, you know, a fair crack at it um, going into the fight, but... The fight itself, I'm just going to quickly break it down here, or try to break it down quickly. In the first round, I felt it was a very technical opening round, a battle of the jabs. I felt that Groves was using his jab well, but not necessarily judging the distance too good. Um, Smith was surprisingly letting his right hand go more often than I thought he would, and he was landing, and Groves wasn't liking it as early as the first round. Um, I felt that at times Callum was waiting a little bit too long. He was almost waiting for Groves to throw before he did. Uh, I felt it was a close round, and it was ended with a nice combo from from Callum Smith. But I felt that Groves probably edged the round on his jab. Um, in the second round, I felt that Groves probably edged that round also. Both men landed heavy-looking power shots, but both took the shots well. Uh, Smith was starting to show a very good defense at that point, which a lot of people don't give him credit for. Uh, Groves looked like he was using much more energy than uh, than a very patient Callum Smith at that point. Groves didn't seem too comfortable with the pace of the fight. Um, Callum was fighting very cleverly, and he was picking his shots well, and he was backing up Groves constantly. Groves, after having a lot of success with his jabs in the third round, this is the next round, um, you know, was really starting to get through with a lot of shots, and then the pair exchanged right hooks, and Callum landed a beauty, and Groves' legs buckled badly. Um, Callum went in for the kill, but Groves weathered the storm and quickly recuperated, to be honest, but certainly a Smith round, so I actually had it um, two rounds to one after three. Now, going into the fourth round, I felt that Groves was outlanding Smith massively, but his shots didn't really seem to be bothering Smith much, mainly because he was only jabbing. Smith did land a right hand that hurt Groves again, but not as bad as the prior round. I felt that Groves probably won that round, but he was being made, like I say, to fight at a high pace. Callum looked as though he was going to try and come on strong late on in the fight, which we call a Joe Gallagher special. Um, Also, it's, it's not a you know, it's not a big secret that Groves has been has been um, knocked for having a, uh, not a great gas tank in the past. We know that. I think it's improved, but we do we do have question marks there. Going into the fifth round, I felt that Groves was starting to up his game at that point. Actually, he was fainting. He was doubling up the jab. He was landing on Smith too often. If Smith was planning to come on strong, this is what I've written the notes, if he was planning to come on strong, then he should be targeting the body of Groves, which he hadn't really done at that point, very interesting, I've written here to see what happens in the next couple of rounds, so this is the fifth round here, so for me, I've actually got it 4-1 to Groves, a lot of people thinking I'm a little bit crazy, but the reason is, a lot of people are influenced by which fighter's going forward and which fighter is going backwards, and Groves was constantly on the back foot, but... um you know, it gives off impressions, which I'm aware of. Uh, in the sixth round, I felt that Smith started to up the pace. Both men had moments, but I'd edge that round to Smith. Again, a few of these rounds are close, so forgive me for that. Smith did seem to surprisingly have the edge in punch power. Obviously, we know he can we know he can bang, but he hadn't really proved it, I felt, as much as Groves. Groves has, has, has hit a lot of people hard and, you know, and, and has stopped people. Um... I felt that Groves' power is probably a little bit more legitimate than Smith's. Um, you know, we needed to see it from Smith, and we certainly did, which I'm going to get onto in just a second. I actually thought in that sixth round that Smith seemed to, like I say, have the edge in power, and it was either that he simply had the edge in power, or Groves just couldn't take 
a shot as good as what Smith could take a shot. Um, I did write here, Smith needs to let his hand his hands go more. And in the seventh round, the pair traded off and Callum landed a peach of a left hook. It staggered Groves badly and Groves' guard immediately dropped. His balance was all over the place and Callum jumped straight on him and let his hands go. Uppercuts, left and right hands and Groves took a knee. He looked terribly hurt and actually he shook his head in disbelief almost. He didn't beat the count and I'm not, I'm not sure he tried to beat the count either. So the new champion of the world, Callum Smith, I as Obviously, a man that bided his time. He could have had a world title shot um, quite a while ago by all rights, but it wasn't really his own fault. He's been messed around. He's been pulled left and right. He entered this competition. Um, he was the favourite going in, but when it came down to the ultimate fight, the, the the final for the Ali Trophy, he was the underdog. Make no mistake. Like I say, um, he's bided his time, and he's he's got the win on the biggest stage, and obviously he's going home back to Liverpool with a fat check, a new belt, and that trophy um, by his side also. So fair play to him. He joins his brother Liam in becoming a world champion. What did you make of your eyes? Um, I think it's a very good fight, obviously. Um, I, like I said, I predicted last week to say that Grove was going to win the fight. Well, obviously, unfortunately, he didn't. And the reason I um, I personally thought Grove did the experience, but do you know what it is? Callum Smith was very, very big at the night. Like You can see the size wise. And obviously, Callum Smith used his advantage. Callum Smith caught um, George Groves a very... Uh, throughout the fight, he was catching him with that right hand, and I thought George Groves was going to hurt him. But this time, Callum Smith was doing very, very good using that right hand, and obviously hit him with the uppercut with that right hand as well, and obviously knocked George Groves out. Now, um, where does George Groves go from here? I personally think, um, I personally think he shouldn't retire. I think he should have two more fights. I think he should personally fight um, Rocky Fielder and go for that title. If I was, if I was George Groves and win that world title back. It, and then also have one more fight, like a big fight, and then I think he should retire, call it a day. Because I mean, he's accomplished what he won. He's done a world title. I think it would be it would be good to, for him to have another win of another world title one more time. Yeah, but for me, as I'd now like to see Groves and Degal because both men have just recently, um, you know, lost their world titles. Degal didn't actually lose it in a ring, but he gave it up. Both men don't have a world title, so for me, I would actually make that a fifty-fifty fight now. Um, and, and the winner goes on to a big shot, maybe Rocky Fielding, and the loser just walks away from the sport. I think they're both in the latter stage of their careers. Do you believe that's a good time for that fight to happen or not? No, because I think DeGale's going to fight Chris Eubank Jr. next. Yeah. Um, Would I, you take that fight if you were Gal? I think the Groves fight is probably even bigger than that. Maybe I, not. I personally think, I think that I think if I was DeGale, I'd fight Chris Eubank Jr. Because I, I think DeGale will beat Chris Eubank Jr., Obviously, Chris Eubank Jr. is not actually a super middleweight. For me, I think he's actual natural middleweight. I think James DeGale is much bigger as well, and I think James DeGale will beat Chris Eubank Jr. And then I think George I think George should have one more fight. I think he should fight someone like Rocky Fielding. I think he'll beat Rocky Fielding. And then I think he should fight uh, and then I think he should fight DeGale for the world title. And then that should be like the big fight. And then whoever wins that stays in boxing, whoever doesn't retire. We'll call it a day. Okay, you've heard it there. Um, you know, whatever he does, we will be watching, that is for sure. So the new champion of the world, Callum Smith, excellent stuff for him. Leaving Jeddah now in Saudi Arabia, moving out to the Oracle Arena in Oakland, California, USA. A couple fights to mention over here. We had Joshua Greer Jr. He moved to 18-1 and with one draw. Um, it was a TKO in the third round against Giovanni Delgado. His record now 16-8. and Joshua Greer is a guy that... Sometimes he turns up to a weigh-in with a pillow, and he's trying to incite that um, that that he's going to knock his opponent out. And whenever he's brought this pillow out, I think he's actually got the knockout. So uh, 
quite a funny character. We need that in boxing. All, all the credit to him. Um, Genesis Savania picked up win number 32. He's got one loss, and that one was to Oscar Valdez. He's actually a decent fighter, Gen- Genesis Savania. He picked up a KO in round three against Carlos Carlson. Um, Jose Uzcatagai, that's obviously the IBF world champion at super middleweight. He picked up win number 28 inside 30 fights. He's got two losses, a win over Ezekiel Moderna. Um, who's now 26-5. and five. That's a 10-round unanimous decision there in favour of Uzkatagai. It was a non-title bout, though, so he'll be defending his world title next time out. And the top of the bill here, Jerwin Ancahas, 30 wins, one loss and one draw, the man that beat Jamie Conlon at the back end of last year. He put his IBF World Super Flyweight title on the line against Alejandro Barrios, who many people were overlooking. 16-2 and two with four draws. Perhaps Ancahas overlooked him himself. It ended up being a split draw over 12 rounds, so Ancahas does keep his title there. Moving over now to the Pechenga Resort and Casino in California, USA. This one was shown on Box Nation, actually. A friend of the show here was um, was fighting and promoting on the bill. Actually, Black China was sat ringside. That's one for the books. Devin Haney proceeded to 20-0, and 0, a perfect record. Uh, he picked up the vacant IBF North American lightweight title, a win there over Juan Carlos Borgos. His record 33 and 2 with two draws. Um, Devin Haney dominated really for the whole fight, in my opinion. Maybe he gave up one or two rounds at an absolute push, but Juan Borgos is a real tough, tough, tough character. And I felt it was a fantastic learning fight there for Devin Haney. Like I say, he promoted the show himself. Very wide scorecards in his favour, a 10 round unanimous decision. Um, this guy obviously went the distance. With with Mikey Garcia. I think he's a three-time world title challenger, so a real, real good step up there from Devin Haney, and he came through with flying colours. Moving over now to Waldenbuch in Germany. One fight to mention over here, Erkan Tepper, 19-2, the man that knocked out David Price. He fought for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Heavyweight title. In the other corner, Robert Hellanius, former opponent of Dillian White, former opponent of Derek Chisora. His record, 27-2. Robert Hellanius actually knocked Tepper out in round eight. That one was a bit of a shock. Tepper down and out in that eighth round. Robert Hellanius now 28-2. and two. He's the new IBF Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. Uh, moving over now to the Polideportivo in Vicente Trueba in Torre Levaga in Cantabria, Spain. One fight to mention over here. Sergio Garcia, a man that's kind of been kept under the radar a little bit. He's being promoted by the former middleweight king, Sergio Martinez. Well, this guy here, Sergio Garcia, he now moves to 28-0. and And he picked up here the vacant EBU European super welterweight title against Maxime Buesire, who now has a record of 27-2 and with one draw. So that one went under the radar, but a good fighter, this Sergio Garcia. Moving over now to the Leisure Centre in Bracknell, Berkshire, United Kingdom. I was in attendance for this fight. This was an Al Siesta show. He was on the show himself a couple weeks ago, the promoter. Um, A couple fights to mention over here. I want to start with... Uh, I'm going to start with the, there was a real, well, a couple of upsets, a couple of people's O's um, got took away here, but I'm going to start with Nick Webb, actually. His record, 12-1. and one. He took on Dorian Darch, 12-7 and seven with one draw. It was a late replacement. I think um, Nick Webb was supposed to take on someone. I think it was a, a European fighter, but he ended up taking on Darch. A second round TKO there. Um... 
the fight itself, I mean, Webb was just too good for Darch, really. It was also Webb's birthday as well, so that was a, a reason for him to raise his game. But the fight itself wasn't up to too much. Uh, it was one-way traffic for the most part. A couple of decent shots landed by Darch. And we also saw Webb go into Southpaw a little bit, but a good finish from him. He stopped Darch on the ropes in that second round, which is actually the same round that Anthony Joshua did it. So a good win there for Webb, obviously coming off that knockout to Dave Allen. He will look to bounce back. Also, we saw Derek Renfrew, a man who was 5-0 with one draw. He took on Yalton Neves, who's 3-13. Now, Yalton Neves is a journeyman. Um, he's been around the block a little bit, actually, and he's better than his record suggests. He's a Southpaw from Manchester. I've seen him once or twice. He's from Manchester by way of Portugal. Um, but the, the man in the, in the other corner, the home fighter, the man that was in there to win, I just felt that that Renfrew, you know, he seemed to leave his chin in the air a lot of the time when he was, when he was, you know, throwing combinations. And even when he was coming back and moving back from a shot, he'd leave his chin in the air. Um, and Neves is not the kind of guy that you want to do that with. Neves came into the fight, you know, he was game for it. He was tough. He showed up in good shape. And as the fight warmed in, he seemed to, he seemed to just grit it out, really. I mean, he was losing the fight, you'd feel, but he seemed to grit it out, and he ended up dropping Renfrew. Um, I think he dropped him in the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken. And then he came out in the fifth round, and he knocked him spark out. So he took his O there. Brilliant win there for Yalton Neves, who's a journeyman that I don't think is going to last too long if he doesn't change his style, because he, he doesn't like to keep a high Guard. He likes to rely on his reflexes, which are quite good, by the way. But I think that kind of fighter that's going to be thrown in at late notice as an opponent, he needs to keep his guard up. He can't just rely on those reflexes because he will end up eating shots and too many. But moving up on the bill once again, we saw George Lampert 5-0. and He KO'd Comrade Stempowski in the fourth round. Comrade Stempowski was also 8-0. and So both men undefeated. Somebody's O had to go. This was a good, good, real good fight. Um, probably the fight of the night, actually. A good opening round. A lot of clinching, though. That is the one bad thing and when Stempowski got close to Lampert he'd grab hold of him Lampert would um, but but um, Stempowski's inside work was probably better than Lampert's and Stempowski also sustained a cut from a head clash in the first round in the second Lampert started to frustrate Kempowski my big criticism of Lampert is that he goes back in straight lines and he gets caught due to his low guard um, a very rugged kind of fight at that point neither man had scored a knockout in their careers at all so it looked like it was was going to be going the distance. Um, going into the fourth round, it was pretty clear that this was going to be George Lampert's fight to lose. He had a lot more to his game. And one thing that I noticed about Lampert, he's got really big legs for his weight, real solid-looking legs. No surprise to see that he's got great foot movement. Um, he's, you know, his footwork and his reflexes were way too sharp for Stempowski. A lot of Stempowski's shots were hitting fresh air, and in that fourth round, the pair were trading off, and Lampert landed a nice shot to Stempowski's chin. Stempowski's legs dipped, and his guard dropped and he didn't know what to do and Lampert smelt blood and went in for the kill. Um, Stempowski was thrown back in a desperate attempt to land the haymaker but he ended up leaving himself open for a beautiful shot over the top from Lampert. Down went Stempowski. He got back up at 8 
He turned around, he looked at his corner, he didn't look like he wanted to carry on, and the referee waved it off. And after that, there was a little bit of a soft protest from Stempowski, but a brilliant win there to pick up your first knockout win for Lampert, and you could see the emotion on his face. You know, he burst into tears, emotional tears, and he was thanking the crowd. An absolutely cracking fight there on a small hall show. I really did enjoy that fight there. Um, moving up the bill once again, Naylor Ball, 5-0. and This is a guy that I've seen get dropped by a journeyman once, before I think it was on a Bradley Skeet undercard. Um, I think it was in in um, in, in Essex, I believe. Um, if, if if it was definitely in Essex somewhere, I can't remember where it was now. That a leisure centre somewhere. But anyway, um, Naylor Ball he got in there against Camille Sokolowski, former opponent of David Price, former opponent of Dillian White, and also he fought Huey Fury in an exhibition in an exhibition fight that was really bizarre that I saw um, from ringside at the Copper Box once upon a time. But Camille Sokolowski is a lot better than his record suggests. Four and twelve with two draws going in. I did say it. I said it last week. And and I also said it to Al Siesta himself when he was on the show. I said, this is a tough fight for Naylor Ball. And it really was. He was down in the second round. He got saved by the bell. You know, when he got back up from that knockdown, he was being continually hit again and again. So he did really get saved by that bell. And I've actually writ here, I'll be amazed if he doesn't go down in the third round. Because in that third round, Sokolowski was hitting him too often. He was too solid for Naylor Ball. And he was down once again in that third round. Uh, his nose started to look a real mess. There was no head movement from Naylor Ball. He got back up, and he's a brave character. He really is. But the towel came in from his corner. So his O got taken also, and Camille Sokolowski was real happy with his win there. Um, so Naylor Ball, that's his first career loss, unfortunately, for him. His record now 5-1. and one. And finally... Um, the the top of the bill, Lufa Clay, his record nine and one. He took on Yaya Tluziti, his record thirteen and three with three draws. He'd never been stopped. It was an eight rounder. Uh, Lufa Clay, to me, is clearly an aggressive counter puncher. Sometimes he likes to mix it up a little bit too much, I think. But he's a man learning on the job. We need to remember that he's a young character. Very good punch evasiveness. Little steps left and right to avoid punches. That takes a real lot of class. Um, he's got good punch variation. Straight shots hooks, body and head, uppercuts excellent head movement as well very intelligent boxer, you can see the ring IQs there, um, he took a few good shots himself but overall he was the much better man in that ring he's a great punch picker, I'd like to see him stick behind his jab a little bit more sometimes he did get a little bit too involved I think he tries to rush his work sometimes, I think he needs to just be a little bit more patient and trust his skills, um, he did walk into a big shot himself in the fifth round that seemed to stun him momentarily but you know, all in all, it was a it was a, a punch perfect performance. Really, he's a good shot slipper, and also he can slip shots walking forward, which is a very very difficult skill. And Lufa did actually hurt his man several times in the last round, but he could not get the finish. But a dominating points win there for Lufa Clay, and that really wraps up that show there. Moving over now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA, we saw Jorge Linares pick up win number forty five. He's got four losses. Also, it was a KO in the third round against Abner Cotto. His record now 23-4. and four. That's it for that, Bill. Moving over now to the Citizens Business Bank Arena in Ontario, California, USA. Uh, this one was also on Box Nation. This was on the Sunday. We saw... Uh 
a few fights on this bill, really. We saw James DeGaulle. Well, we didn't actually see James DeGaulle. It wasn't shown, but he picked up a KO in the third round against Fidel Munoz, who I think's got 18 losses, 15 by knockout. But he's got 39 wins also and one draw. Um, so, yeah, we knew that that was going to be a win there for James DeGaulle. He got it in the third round. His record now 25-2 and two with one draw. Also, we saw... Effie Jagba, this is the guy that fought Curtis Harper when Curtis Harper just, you know, just got out the ring that I told you about before, Ayaz. And Jagba is a real, real talent, I believe, and certainly one to watch. Um, you know, the fight itself, he, he landed a humongous straight right through the guard that jolted his opponent's head back. And his opponent did come and give it a real go, to be fair to him. But F.A., he's built like a superhuman. He's ripped. He's got a similar body to Anthony Joshua. And he moves really, really well. He's athletic. And he's got a great punch variety. Once again, like I say, um, even though the contest only lasted a round, it was very exciting. And certainly, he is one to watch. Um, so, yeah. Thankfully, this fight did last more than one second, and his opponent didn't run out the ring, but um, certainly one to watch. His record now 7-0. and He actually took on Nick Jones, who was undefeated himself in seven contests, 7-0, and now 7-1. and uh, Moving up the bill, once again, Cody Davies moved to 8-0, and a win for the Welshman there over eight rounds unanimously against Jerhad Fenderson, now 4-7. and uh, Joe Joyce, let's talk about him now. Um, Joe Joyce, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little criticism in here. He seemed to be throwing a jab from really far out, and when he was throwing the jab, he'd he'd fall short with it, and he was lucky to not get something over the top most of the time. But he certainly did win that first round with his jab when he was landing it. He it was landing nice, um, but yeah, he really did have to reach in, and because he was reaching so much, he he didn't really get much power on his jabs, and they were kind of little taps. But Kiladzi wasn't standing still. I give I give I give Joe Joyce that. Kiladzi was was a moving target and his movement did seem to frustrate Joyce a little bit. Joyce wasn't really cutting off the ring too good in that first round. He was just kind of following his man and he looked much slower in there than Kiladzi. But in the second round, Joyce did drop Kiladzi early in that round with a nice overhand right followed by a left. Um, Joyce went on to hurt Kiladzi several times in that round, but he also did take a few good hard shots himself. Sometimes I've seen Joe do it a few times, but um, you know, he, he likes to sometimes throw a combination to the body and he leaves his, you know, his, his self wide open and he usually gets caught and he did get caught here. So um, that's one thing. He, he really likes to throw about a six-punch combination to the body, which we don't see many people do, especially in the heavyweight division. Now, in the third round with about 45 seconds to go, Joyce trapped Kiladzi in the corner and unleashed a big combination. Um, it, it finished with a left hook to the body that put Kiladzi down for the second time in the fight. Two Kiladzi's credit he did fight fire with fire when he was hurt and he got through the round but in the fourth round it was probably the most competitive round because Kiladzi had a real go here I think it was um excuse my my language here but I think it was kind of shit or bust time for him um you know he really did go for it Joyce was doing a good job blocking most of Kiladzi's attacks, and Joyce was also dishing out punishment, so it kind of brought out the best of Joyce, really. Kiladzi, when he was walking back to his corner at the end of that round, he didn't look too pleased, and I kind of felt that maybe the fight had been beaten out of him, and in that fifth round, after just 30 seconds into that round, Joyce dropped Kiladzi with a lovely left hook. Kiladzi went down, he got back up, but he decided to quit. So it was a brave effort from Kiladzi, but it just was not good enough. Um, 
um, yeah, no real problems with that, to be completely honest. But it was a little bit distasteful. He just literally shook his head and didn't want to know. He looked to his corner for a way out, and the referee decided to call a halt to the bout. So a win there in the fifth round for Joe Joyce, a knockout. That's six wins now, all six coming by way of knockout. Kiladze has never been stopped that quick, apart from um, when he got stopped in the same round by Michael Hunter, who takes on Martin Bacoli, not this weekend, but next. And the main event here... Um, this is the last fight to mention of the review part of the show. Sorry it took so long. Uh, we saw Brandon Figueroa, 16-0, and 0, the brother of Omar Figueroa. He took on Oscar Escandon, whose record was 25-4. and 4. Um, Escandon is a fighter that, to a certain level, is pretty good. But when he really steps up, uh, you know, he, he kind of doesn't win, but he's a solid, solid test, and it was a big step up for Figueroa. A fun fact about um, Oscar Escandon is he's trained by one of my favorite dads in boxing, which is Ruben Guerrero, the, the father of Robert Guerrero. He saw... Um, he showed us a lot of funny stuff during the Mayweather and and Guerrero fight. He was a, a real fun character, very eccentric. And, um, yeah, the fight itself, I mean, Figueroa just dominated the fight, really. It was his first real step up, like I say, a good learning fight. And he ended up finishing his man in the last round with a beautiful right uppercut, a KO in the very, uh, the very last round, the 10th and final round. So a good win there for Brandon Figueroa, very tall for the weight. And I'd like to see him stepped up a couple more notches, and we will see how good he is but that really wraps up the reviewing like I say very sorry for going on as much as I did just before we wrap up part one there is one last thing to do you know what it is it's to bring in guest number one Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man that's ranked number 14 in the world with the IBF, number 11 in the world with the WBC, and number 3 in the world with the WBA. It's, of course, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you for having me, Jay. I think this was his now my seventh time. I believe it's the seventh time, yeah. I think that um, you've been on more than any other guest, which is, which is a big thing. But is there like a T-shirt on the line now, or...? Oh, I tell you what, what we definitely, we definitely, definitely sort you out with one. Now that you've said it, but yeah, like I say, we last <laughs> spoke in, we last spoke in May, John. Um, not a huge gap, no fight in between this interview and our last one, but a lot has happened in your division. Let's let's start with your fight coming up here. You, you you've signed to take on Andre Sirotkin. What do we know about this guy, John? Uh, he, he's he's fifteen and zero. He's got um, four KOs. Um, other than that, the likes of Mayorga and Ryan Ford. He's relatively unknown. The fighters he's faced, but um, he's got a decent rank in the WBA, so I'll, I'll treat him with respect he deserves, and expect the hardest fight to date. But a fight that I, I think I'm, I know that I'm going to win. Yeah, um, obviously the, the the guy is three years older than you. Um, as you mentioned there, he's only had 15 fights and, and you mentioned also a win there over a very bad version of a, of a Mayorga, if we're being honest. And obviously that win over Ryan Ford, who, if I, if I, if I remember correctly, I think Ryan Ford at one point was linked with fighting Anthony Yar, but that never happened. But yeah, Ryan Ford was, you know, an undefeated prospect with a bright future at one point, but whenever he stepped up, he seems to have been beaten. But aside from that, not much else stands out on Sorok record for me. Um, obviously, you mentioned there four knockouts from 15 wins. That would usually indicate that this man's not a thunderous puncher, John. No, yeah, I've, I've watched bits of him and he's got like a um, very Eastern European style. He jumps in, he, he throws a flurry of shots and jumps out. So he's going to be able to tie down and have to be sensible with could, could be, add a bit, could be a bit of pressure, but he's ready to keep moving. So it'll be, it'll be a tricky customer for a while. 
and a lot has gone on in the super middleweight division lately. Like I say, um, David Benavidez, I won't go into his his situation, but George Groves against Callum, Callum Smith last Friday. John, what was your reaction there? Brilliant performance from Smith. Do you know what? I am um, great, great, yeah, great performance from Smith to start off with, but I feel like the miles showed on George's clock the other night. I feel like he just looks like his punch resistance what, what wasn't what it once was. And I mean, I, I don't know how good the shoulder was through camp, but I mean, he, he was throwing it and throwing it well, but it's just, I don't think his camp's gone as well as the team originally let on. And, and rightly so, they wouldn't, wouldn't go into a fight letting people know that you're not 100%. But it's just a shame. But um, on a right note for Tanner Smith, what a, what a way to, to beat George Groves. Yeah, for sure. And like I say, most people, um, including myself, had Groves, you know, the favourite. I mean, you know, he'd had the better momentum going into the fight, you'd feel. Um, In the bookies, he was the favourite. But like I say, it wasn't to be. Um, Confirm for me, John, the winner of you versus Sorokin gets that fight at Callum Smith, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I'm told, yeah. But um, I mean, I don't don't know if Fielding will take preference as being the regular champion and whether he'll get a shot first. I don't, I don't know how it'll work, but I know that when this, um, I'm not too far from my world title shot, so I hope all goes well on the 27th and I'll be getting that shot. And John, in your honest opinion, um, you obviously must have had one eye on this fight, um, the other eye on Sorokin, but who do you believe you'd have had more of a chance against, in your opinion, obviously Callum Smith and George Groves. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I believe it would have probably been Groves, even though we all kind of thought he'd win the fight. But then, obviously, with Callum Smith, he's got such a high advantage over you. But for you, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it up to you. Who was the guy that you believe you'd fare best against? Uh, yeah, I, think I agree with you with the, with the George Groves. I mean, I just feel like we'd be able to box a bit more so it'll be, it'll be a, it will be a, hot, a tough fight against Callum Smith he is so big and uses his height and reach so well but I was I was hoping that it would be George that I would get the chance to fight for the title but it's not like it's out that way but look any of the champions I mean I, I look at like this Cat's guy I know I've said to you before that I, I would fight him on top of a hat I believe that he's not this baddest man on the planet that he's, he's made out to be and we have spoke about Benavides and I don't know what's going to happen there with him, but in the likes of Ramirez, I'll fight him more high advantage or no high advantage. And the bill that you're fighting on, um, on, on the 27th of, of October, um, is packed with 50-50 fights. I really cannot wait for it. But which fight are you most looking forward to on the bill, aside from your fight? There's some lovely fights on that bill. Um, I'm looking forward to Ted Cheeseman and, and a senior Byfield. I've been... I've known Ted for a long time, I think since he's about 12 years of age, so I've watched him grow and develop into a man, and it, it just I've watched his career closely, obviously training with him. So it'd just be good to see him win the title on that and, and go on to bigger and better things. What about Craig Richards and Jake Ball? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of rounds with Craig for this, for this fight. Um, that's another in, intriguing fight. It'll be a, be a great fight. Um a real 50 I mean, I'm struggling to call a winner. It just depends who brings it on the night. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. Like I say, many, many 50-50s. Now, John, I was looking at your record the other day, and I must say that you've really had to take some hard fights recently, and I've seen a lot of boxers take much quicker routes to world titles. I just want to reel off, for those that may not remember at the moment, your last five fights. Obviously, you took on Jack Armfield, which went to points. You didn't get the decision, but it was a super close fight that could have gone either way. Then, of course, you beat Adam Etches, and I don't care what anyone says. He's a good fighter um, to a certain level. And then, obviously, you went on to lose that very close split decision to Rocky Fielding. Once again, a fight that could have gone either way. He's now a world champion. Then you take on Patrick Nielsen in a fight that you were being brought in to lose, if we're being honest. You knocked him out brutally. Then you take on Jamie Cox, whose only loss was to Groves for the world title, and you stop him in half the time Groves could do it. Now you've got another undefeated, unknown quantity Russian in front of you before you get that world title shot. It is a long route, John. Is it frustrating? for you when you think back at that it, it is in a way because I, I, feel, I feel like there's people, the people less deserving that have got shots but at in the in the end day I've cut in the last five fights there's been two losses so there's been somewhat of a rebuilding process so I've gone away I've rebuilt I've moved up and I'm here now so it's down to me to take care of business on the 27th and then the stars will be aligned and whatnot and the world title shot will be mine. And since we last spoke, like I say, I just mentioned there, your former foe, Rocky Fielding, he went on the road to Germany. Most people didn't believe he, he stood a chance, really, and he walked through um, the champion. He's now a world champion himself. What did you make of his win, John? It's terrific. I mean, you looked at it in the first 30 seconds of the fight, and I thought, this, I said to my friends, there'd definitely be a knockout here. And then the, the further it went, I Stapped on little inplay bet on Fielding for the for the stoppage. Thank you for the winnings, Rocky. Um, and yeah, he done it. I mean, it was cracking body shot on it, and we just didn't have anything to get up. And of course, now there's talk about Rocky against the likes of James DeGaulle. Um, You know, you've got Chris Eubank Jr. with his name in the mix. But with George Groves now seeming to be stuck in, in, you know, in between a rock and a hard place after losing the other day, I personally think that the time is now for DeGaulle and Groves. It would still do good numbers, in my opinion. And I think the winner should probably get another big fight and the loser perhaps walk away with a nice check. Are you with me on that, John? Would you rather see... Um, DeGaulle and Groves at this point or are you not really interested should both guys look elsewhere or what um, no worries now is it is perfect but you know James isn't going to give nothing away and with, with George coming off a loss now he's going to, James is going to see himself as the, the the A side as before George was the A side I mean, so we're always going to have this who who's what to, to the equation but I feel now it would be perfect. But I did hear like whispers that it would be the Gal Eubank. I don't know how, how true that is. Also, seeing things that might be Fielding and and um, the Gal. So just just it's exciting because everyone's out in the dark and no one knows what's going to happen. And if Rocky were to get that fight with the Gal, how would you see that one playing out, John? No, it's just we're yet to know where the Gal was at. I mean, it, of late we've not seen the best vintage decal performances. So, you don't know, Rocky's riding high and it's going to be hard to beat him at the moment. He's he's riding high and he's buzzing and he's going to defend that title all of his life. I mean, so, it would be exciting, but, I mean, I, I just don't see why James would vacate the IBF to fight for the WBA regular. It just seems like a, a real big backward step. 
Yeah, a lot of people confused about that. I remember speaking to Callum Smith when it had fresh happened, and he basically said, I understand if he would have you know, announced a big fight in the coming weeks afterwards, but he didn't. And then obviously he fought on the weekend um, against a complete journeyman, and he stopped him in a couple of rounds. But that is what it is. Your former opponent, Billy Joe Saunders, fights Demetrius Andrade on October 20th. A hard fight for those that know Andrade, John. But the problem is over here, a lot of people not too familiar with him. But those that do know how good he is, it's a real good fight. Yeah, it's a tough fight. I mean, people over here would only have seen Andrade beat Brian Rose. I mean, and that, that the, he, he looked a sensation that night, but he recently went to Germany and beat um, Jack Kulkai for the title. I, I think it was only a point. I was expecting him to stop Kulkai in fairness, but um, I think he beat him on points. And I think there was a bit of drama that day with they, they were messing about with ring walk times and whatnot. Just, just, um, Tactics, you know what I mean, but it didn't upset the other cut for him. He went out and, and got the win. He's now cut to middleweight, and I don't know. It's just one of those things you could, you can never write Billy Joe off. He's write him off at your peril. He's gonna, he's gonna come back and just do what do the unexpected. Yeah, certainly an intriguing fight that one. A week before yours, some good good uh, good weekends of boxing there back to back. And finally, John, what is your prediction for your fight come October twenty seventh? Are you able to make it three knockouts in a row, which you wouldn't have done since since twenty twelve actually? And obviously that wasn't against the calibre of opponents that you've been taking on recently. If I catch him at any point in the fight, which I'm sure I will, then I'm gonna I'm gonna capitalise on it and put him away. But I'm I'm happy with a points win. But yeah, it'd be nice to be six years later and get three knockouts in a row. So why not? Um, I'm, I'm going out to win. I'm going out to win style. So the best just to outbox him for twelve rounds or to knock him out than than either one. Excellent, excellent. And finally, anything that you want to say at all before we let you go, John? No, just thanks for the support, Joe. I appreciate it. It's nice to get get on here and talk boxing and talk about the upcoming fight. So thank you for the support. Listen, it's always my pleasure, John. You know that. I cannot wait to see you in that ring come the 27th. I know that you can win again and win well, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after. Brilliant. Thanks, Jay. Cheers, mate. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I has take it away. Right. Junior featherweight world title holder Isaac Dogbo has signed a long-term deal with top-ranked boxing, and we'll be back on December the 8th. Yeah, he's fighting on the undercard of Lomachenko and Pedraza. Um, he's also a friend of the show now. I'm pleased that he's put pen to paper with top rank long term. Um, they've got a real star on their hands there, and what you know, what better promotional team to be with? So I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of that whole thing, and I wish um, I wish him all the very best, of course. A medical condition uh, forced Christina Hammer to postpone our undisputed world middleweight title fight against Clarissa Shields. Yeah, real shame for Clarissa Shields because obviously, you know, she reigned at super middleweight, then she moved down to middleweight and it was a bit of a task I felt for her, even though she said to me that she could probably get down to welterweight or something like that, but um, yeah, this was going to be a real good fight, it was going to hot things up in the female side of the sport, and it's a shame really, but I don't quite know the ins and outs, so I don't want to, you know, start hating on it or anything like that, but I just feel for Clarissa a little bit, and also, you know, if it's something serious, then I really do feel for Christina also, because it was going to be a good fight, but hopefully it gets rescheduled, and um, we can see the ladies shine. Um, That's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start in the Gasmart Stadium in Tijuana, Mexico. Um, We have 
Uh, one fight to mention over here is for the is for the vacant WBC silver bantamweight title. Lewis Neary, former world champion, undefeated, twenty six and zero. He takes on Jason Canoy, whose record's twenty seven and eight with two draws. That's a twelve rounder there. Moving over now to the Impact Arena in Pak Kret in Thailand, we've got Wisaksel Wangek, also known as Sorung Vasai. His record forty six and four with one draw. He puts his WBC World Super Flyweight title on the line against Iran Diaz. He's record 14-2 and two with three draws. On paper, that looks like a bit of an easy fight, but who knows? That's a 12-rounder there. Um, the return of Wangek in Thailand. They do love him over there. But now, moving over to the Leicester Arena, we're going to be going for a few predictions here, guys. So get ready for that. It's going to be on BT Sport. It's going to also be on ESPN Plus on the app in the States. Brilliant bill this one's going to be. It's a fantastic, fantastic bill here um, that we're going to be watching. I want to be there, but unfortunately I won't get home in time to watch Callum Johnson and Baturbiev. That show um, won't, you know, that that I think starts at 2 in the morning and I just know that I'm not going to get back from Leicester um, you know, when that show finishes, which I think finishes about 12, I'm not going to get home in two hours because I don't like to watch things back. I like to watch them live. So I won't be in Leicester and um, I certainly won't be in Chicago. But yeah, let's go through this card here at Leicester Arena. We've got Ryan Hatton, 3-0. and His opponent yet to be announced. That's a four-rounder there. We've got Mark Heffron, 20-0. and He takes on Ayi Aiti. His record 15 and 7. I'm probably saying that wrong. Should be a good win there for Mark Heffron, you'd imagine, over eight rounds. Nathan Gorman, 13 and 0. His opponent yet to be announced. Ryan the Piranha Garner, 7 and 0. He's in a six rounder against Elvis Gwillem. He's a known journeyman from these shores, or at least he fights over here a lot. His record 9 and 42 with four draws. Um. A real, a real good fight. Another step up here for Daniel Dubois. His record eight and zero with eight knockouts. A ten-round fight. This against Kevin Kingpin Johnson, a man that's been in there with Chisora, a man that's been in there with Klitschko, a man that's been in there with Tyson Fury. Um, he's really been around the block, Kevin Johnson, but he's seen better days. We all know that. His record thirty-two and ten with one draw. I do like that step up there for Daniel Dubois. Um, we also have, and we're going to the predictions on this. This is a brilliant. Fight. For anybody listening to this that doesn't know how much I rate Archie Sharp, listen to this fight here. Please, please do not miss this fight. We've got Leon Woodstock. He's from Leicester. It's in his backyard, 11-0. He takes on Archie Sharp, who's 13-0. This is a 10-round contest. It's for the WBO European Super Featherweight title. That belt belongs to Leon Woodstock. Brilliant, brilliant fight. Ayaz, I'm coming to you for the predictions. Um, I think it's a very good fight, obviously. I'm not quite sure much about the fight, but if I'm going to go with him, I'm probably going to go with Archie Sharp to win by points. Archie Sharp on points, right. I'm going to go with Archie Sharp on points also. Uh, the listeners at the moment, I'm going to have to retweet this, because at the moment, it's a draw. They've got 31% for Woodstock on points, 31% for Woodstock by knockout. So it certainly looks like the listeners are going with Woodstock. I think he's the betting favourite as well, but I think this is going to be a brilliant fight. I'm so excited. Somebody's own must go, though. Very unfortunate there. Um, the loser is going to be a good fighter still, because I believe in both of these young men and it's a brilliant thing that they're both getting it on but I'm so badly looking forward to that fight I truly am um, Woodstock has, 
has passed a gut check before against Craig Poxton. Archie Sharp hasn't had to, but a brilliant fight that's going to be. Also on the bill, Nicola Adams fights for the interim WBO World Female Flyweight title. Her record 4-0. She takes on Isabel Milan, whose record's 22-4 with one draw. That's 10 two-minute rounds there. Um, Sam Bowen fights for the WBO Intercontinental Super Featherweight title against Horatio Cabral. His record 21-2. This is a 10-rounder. Sam Bowen 13-0. and 0. Um, Sam Bowen, very, very, very good talent, him. And the top of the bill, as I don't know if it's officially at the top of the bill, but certainly for me, Jack Catterall, 22-0, puts his WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title on the line against O'Hara Davies, 18-1. Who wins and how? Oh, that's a very, very good fight. It's a 50-50 fight, for my opinion. We've seen O'Hara Davies, he's, been, uh, he's a very good boxer, so is Jack Catterall. A lot of people are saying Jack Catterall is the face of BT Boxing. Uh, BT Sport Boxing. So if I'm going to go with a winner, I'm going to go with O'Hara Davis win by points. O'Hara Davies on points. Okay, this is very interesting. We've all we've all gone for different things here. I'm going with Catterall on points, and the listeners have gone with Catterall by knockout. I'm not quite sure that'll happen. I think Catterall's technically brilliant, but I don't think he's got the crack. But then again, if he does start putting a bit of a boxing lesson on O'Hara Davies, then who knows what may happen. Um, brilliant fight nonetheless. Really, really looking forward to it. Trying to go through this as quick as possible now because I know it's dragged on a little bit. Moving over now to the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, Illinois, USA. This is going to be the first the zone USA um, card, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously, Eddie Hearn, the promoter, matchroom boxing. Uh, the undercard, we've got... Big Baby Jarrell Miller, 21-0 and with one draw. He's in a 12-round contest against Thomas Adamek, 53-5, and the former two-weight world champion. He was a world champ at light heavyweight and a world champ at cruiserweight. But Adamek has probably seen better days now, really and truly. Of his five losses, he's been stopped twice, so he is quite a tough guy. Um, he got stopped, obviously, against Eric Molina last time out in 2016. He got stopped against... Um, against Vitaly Klitschko, but aside from that, he's he's mixed it with good fighters all along the way, and he's done pretty good. So um, he's coming off of a knockout win himself against Joey Abel, a former opponent of Tyson Fury. Decent fight here, Ayaz. Not the fight everyone really wanted to see for Big Baby Miller, who's being mentioned amongst the top five heavyweights in the world by some people. But who wins a fight and how? I'm going to say Miller by knockout for me. And the listeners, I think, are going to say the same thing. But while I check it, how do you see it? Um, I think I'm I'm gonna go with Jared Miller as well. I think he's a, I think he's a big favourite as well. So I'm gonna go with Jared Will, Jared Miller to win by knockout. Yeah, we've all gone for that. Just check that there. Um, now moving up the bill once again. Here we have Jesse Vargas, twenty-eight and two with one draw, former world champion. He takes on Thomas Delorme, twenty-four and three. This one's for the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. A brilliant fight. This one for those that don't know Delorme, he's so much better than some people think. He's not a big name. I don't think he speaks a word of English at the moment, but um, well, he certainly spoke one or two words a couple of years ago. I don't think he fully speaks English now, though. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, this is a good fight. Delorme is a good fighter. Obviously, the loss most recently to Yuldenis Ugas. He lost to Crawford, but there's no shame in that one. And aside from that, he's put together some good wins. He's a good boxer. Um, but, yeah, Jesse Vargas against him. I think that's a that's potentially a brilliant fight there. How do you see it unfolding, Ayaz? Jesse Vargas Thomas Delorme. I think it's a very good fight, obviously. Obviously, Jesse Vargas now signed with a match on boxing USA. Obviously, he's the bigger name fight in this uh, fight. I think uh, with the experience of Jesse Vargas, I'm going to go with Jesse Vargas to win by uh, by a points decision. 
Yeah, I'm going to go points as well, but I think it's going to be very close. And I just want to throw this out there. I would not be one bit surprised if Delorme beats him on points. I don't think Delorme would stop him. I think he's quite tough, Jesse Vargas. But I think Delorme's certainly got the you know the 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 the, the skills to give Vargas many many problems. And I tell you what, he will give Vargas a lot of problems. If Vargas wins this by a shutout, then I will be shocked. I'll eat my hat, in fact. Um, but yeah, I think Vargas probably on points I think he might get it because be you know being the home promoter show and that kind of thing I think he might get a little bit of favoritism but it's very interesting the 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 listeners have voted 40% Vargas by knockout 60% Vargas on points so no one has gone with the lawmaker to win so I tell you what I'm going to look a real idiot if if the fight's completely not even a contest and Vargas wins easy but that's what the listeners believe will happen here so very interesting um, we've all gone Vargas on points there um, once again moving up the bill we are going to talk about now the Arta Baturbiev against Callum Johnson fight somebody's oh must go it's for the IBF world light heavyweight title Baturbiev 12-0 12 knockouts Callum Johnson 17-0 coming off that one round knockout against Frank Buglioni for the British title he's trying to be great here he's daring to be great and can Joe Gallagher get two new world champions in the space of seven days in fact it was Friday night um, in in Saudi Arabia so eight days can he get two new world champions both called Callum in eight days can it be true as oh that's a very very tough one uh, but Tavis is a very very dangerous fighter, and a very good fight obviously Callum Johnson he said he was inspired by his dad who passed away was is that correct yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it all for his father, yeah. Yeah, he's done it all for his father. But this is a very big step. So if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Arto Baturbiev by knockout. Arto Baturbiev by knockout. 81% of the listeners also going with that. And, you know, it pains me to say it, but I must agree. I think that Baturbiev is, um, you know, he is the real deal. Obviously, he can punch. He didn't look so great when, I think, he when it was his world title fight. Was it his world title fight for the vacant belt, or was it the one where he defended it? I can't remember, but he went 12 rounds with someone. He didn't really look too good, and it was a bit of a dodgy stoppage, actually. Um, but, yeah, I do have to, you know, go with the smart money, which I think has to be on Baturbiev by knockout. But, you know, it wouldn't really... Well, it would surprise me. I think Callum Johnson, you've got to give him so much credit. He's really, really stepping up to the plate here. When you look at his resume, this is the only thing about Callum Johnson. People say he's the best, you know, he's the best light heavyweight in Britain. You know, he's proved it. He hasn't really proved it because when you actually think about it, he's had one proper fight and that fight lasted a round and when you actually look at his record please if, if you think I'm, I'm wrong here go check out his record he really hadn't beaten anybody of note and then he jumped in there against Frank Buglioni and it was over in a round so for me he's had one competitive fight on paper and it just lasted about what was it about 90 seconds so that's it and on that, he's now ended up with a world title fight. So credit to him. He's taking it. And I, I'd love him to do it. I really, really would. So we're all praying and wishing for him to come back with the belt. But it is very much an uphill task. And he will be the first to admit that. But no shame at all in going out there and trying your best. Absolutely no shame at all. So all the very best to Callum Johnson. Come on, Joe Gallagher. 
Let's do it. Moving up the bill once again, this one is the main event. If I'm not mistaken, it's a little bit hard to know what's the main event and what's not. But Daniel Roman, 25-2 and Iaz with one draw. He puts his WBA World Super Bantamweight title on the line. Gavin McDonald, 20 wins and one loss with two draws in the other corner. Gavin McDonald, this is his second world title attempt. The first one he lost to Vargas. Um, yeah, Daniel Roman, not really a big puncher, Iaz. And, um, you know, Gavin McDonald obviously not a big puncher so it's looking like it'll probably go to points if I had to say so and Gavin McDonald looks bang up for this one we had him on the show um, quite a long time ago now but when the fight got made so we've had him on the show talking about this but Daniel Roman undoubtedly a real good fighter coming off a few real good wins I don't think he's lost since 2013 or something like that in a close points loss I think it was over about six or eight rounds so good fighter there very hard fight to pick how do you see it very good fight obviously um it's another world title uh, another world title fight for Gavin McDonald's his last fight uh, his last world title he lost to Ray Vargas Ray Vargas a tough fight now he's got Daniel Roman I don't know much about Daniel Roman uh, obviously, Gavin McDonald's a very good fight with a very good trainer, Dave Caldwell. So this time, I don't know much about the fight, but if I'm going to go with Rin, I'm going to choose the Brit, and I'm going to go for Gavin McDonald on points. So are my eyes, and doesn't it feel good to stick with the Brit? That's why I say, listeners, shame on you. You've gone with Roman to win on points. We don't want that to happen. Roman to win on points, 46%. And 38% with McDonald on points. So probably one or two people actually swayed the vote to um, to Daniel Roman. I hope that you know who you are because I can't find out on this poll, unfortunately. Otherwise, shame on you for doing so. We do want Gavin McDonald to come back with a belt. What a fantastic thing that would be. Uh, that's really it for that one, though. Uh, moving over now to the final bill to mention. It's happening on Sunday. Um, this Sunday, it's happening in the... Um, it's actually a place in, in Japan called The Arena. They don't need to tell you what arena it is. It's just The Arena in Yokohama, Kanagawa. Uh, obviously, this is going to be the World Boxing Super Series. You guessed it. We've got here, um, well, a few good fights, actually, on the bill. Let's start. Ken Shiro, 13-0. He defends his WBC World Light Flyweight title against Milan Melindo. His record, 37-3. Naoya Inoue, as we just mentioned, Gavin McDonald. Obviously, Inoue took out Jamie McDonald in one round and he's defending his belt here the WBA World Bantamweight title he takes on Juan Carlos Payano a man that was actually linked with fighting Jamie McDonald for a long time his record 20 and 1 that's a 12 rounder there and Kirill Relic former opponent of Ricky Burns he is obviously the reigning WBA Super lightweight world champion. He he takes on Edward Troyanovsky. So Relic's record, by the way, before I run away, um, his record twenty two and two, and Edward Troyanovsky twenty seven and one. Former IBF world champion. He's the man that lost in a round to Julius Indongo, and then Indongo went to take on Ricky Burns and and, and obviously beat Ricky Burns. So um, yeah, both men have kind of got some kind of connection with Ricky Burns, but this isn't to do with Ricky Burns. It's for the WBA world super lightweight title. Like I say, it's in the World Boxing Super Series 140 division. It's one of the fights that had to happen because of mandatory obligations. Um, Troyanovsky against Relic, I think it's a fantastic fight. We're not going to go to the predictions on that because we've already done the predictions on, I think it's six or seven fights. So uh, lots and lots of points up for grabs this weekend. Um, but yeah, a cracking fight, I'm guessing that one will be. But that's really it for the preview. And like I say, very, very sorry for waffling on so much. Hopefully, uh, I won't 
won't have to do this next week. We really all hope so, including myself more than all. But yeah, that's really it for the preview. And like I say, we brought you the news, we brought you the review, and we brought you the first guest. It's now time to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated WBC Diamond, WBA Super World Champion. He's also the Ring Magazine Champion of the World. It's, of course, Mr. Callum Smith. Callum, welcome back on the show as a world champion this time. Uh, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, my man. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. Very good. I can imagine. So, Callum, we last spoke in the build-up to this Groves fight. I asked you if you needed to be at your absolute best to beat George Groves. You said yes. You also said that you believed that you'd stop him. You did stop him. You did beat him. So, my question to you is, was that you at your best on Friday night in Jeddah? Um, possibly. No, I wouldn't say my absolute best, but the way the fight was going, it was going the way, way I expected to and the way we planned it to go and I think I proved a lot of people wrong. As I said beforehand, I've underperformed a couple of times, and people were taking that as me at my level, and that that was how good I was. And that version of me doesn't beat George Groves, and I agreed with that. But I always knew I had a lot more, and I always knew the best the opponent would bring out better performance in me. And I think George Groves did exactly that. Yeah, I agree 100%. I've said it before, um, you know, the bigger the occasion, the better your performance is. Now, what can you reveal, Callum, about the game plan going in? Because from my analysis of the fight, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but to me it looked like you were kind of pacing yourself a little bit, perhaps to come on strong late. And at the same time, you were making George fight at a pace he wasn't comfortable with. You did surprise me with the fact that you were letting your right hand go pretty early on. You even landed some heavy-looking shots in the first round. Um, does any of what I've said fold into your game plan? Is that what happened? Um, some of it, but I, I, no, it wasn't pacing and trying to get him down the straight. It was more just I couldn't be reckless. I knew I couldn't afford to make any mistakes and I couldn't afford to not fall in or leave myself open after throwing because I knew he was always trying to set me up. And I've always felt Groves is at his best when he's on the back foot and fighting and jabbing and trying to make his opponent make mistakes and then making them pay for it. So I knew I had to be switched on and George commented beforehand about me concentration levels not being up to scratching. I knew I had to prove him wrong. I knew I had to be switched on constantly and from the outside, I don't think not a lot was happening in the fight but the two was constantly thinking and you know, fighting and trying to draw the other one in and it was me who landed my big shot. I got a, you know, the right hand off a couple of times early on which I felt buzzed them a little bit and I was just always knew even when it did land, just stay stay patient and take your shots rather than get reckless and leave, leave an openness for throws. And have you had a chance to watch the fight back? And if so, have you managed to score it by any chance? Um, I watched it back, I think it was last night or the night before. I haven't watched it much. I didn't get it recorded on my telly while I was away. So I've had to just you know, watch bits of my phone and... It was. It went the way I, I was thinking on the night. I remember on the night thinking I was four two up going into the round where I finished it, and I kind of got the similar, similar outcome when I watched it back. There was a lot of close rounds. I don't think either of us dominated any rounds big, but I always felt I was in control and I always felt comfortable. And by no means was it to the believe I was behind. We knew going into the fight that you could hit hard, but in all fairness, I think most people probably thought that George was perhaps the bigger puncher. Obviously, um, you know, you, you stopped you stopped Rocky Fielding, that was excellent, but Groves had stopped Chudinov, he put Granite Chin Carl Froch down, and he hurt some solid guys, but it certainly looked like you were the much bigger puncher in there. Was that the case? Because you was able to hit him, like I say, and hurt him repeatedly during that fight. 
possibly. No, we, we I had a lot of respect for his power going in there. Everyone you know that shares of England mentions his punch power, so I knew I had to you know, respect it and be aware of it. But I was always confident in my own power, and you know, I said before I knew I knew I had the power today at George Groves, and I've seen other people do it. So that kind of just confirms my own belief in my own self. If they can do it, then so can I. And I just knew I needed to land the right shots and. I kind of found my range early on. I landed a couple of right hands early, which, like I said, I feel he felt. And then, no, I think I hit him in round three. And then it was the left hook that done in the end. But I just felt each clean shot I landed, you know, it was having some form of effect on him. Yeah, it certainly did. And one thing that you showed us in this fight, Callum, amongst many other excellent things, of course, but one thing that we did really see from you is a brilliant defence. And I think that you've been criticised before for possibly being only able to fight one way, but you answered those critics by showing perhaps a different side of your game in this fight that many people hadn't seen before, perhaps. Yeah, and I think that's probably, no, the result of that, that's probably the thing I'm most pleased with. I think you know, a lot of people... Only gave me a punch his chance and all the skill and the experience was a bit gross and he probably know a little bit too much for me and I think I showed that I'd beat him at his own game. It was a boxing match for six rounds and like I said before I believe I was ahead at the time to stop it. So I did just go in there and catch him and get rid of him. I showed that you know, I was the better man of the night and I can I can box, I've got a good boxing brain and I can use it and I'm not just a, a one dimensional fighter with one game plan. I can I can adapt and I've just done it at the very highest level which people question whether I could compete at. And obviously, going into the fight, George was the favourite to win, but the way you beat him has got so many people out there now saying that Groves is all of a sudden finished and he's got no future. Yeah. I think those people are crazy. What's your take on that whole thing? Yeah, that's just boxing fans. The same with me. I underperformed and it was, I'm not as good as people thought and you'd always just get judged on one fight and it's usually your last fight and it'll be the same for George, but Oh, he's a very good fighter. He's a very good career, and you know, up until five days ago, he was the number one superweight in the world. And now people are saying he's finished and he needs to retire. It's just, just typical boxing fans. As good as they are, they are a bit fickle at times. And you know, if George does decide to retire, then I'm sure he can be proud of the career he's had. If he decides to carry on and he still feels the stuff he he needs to achieve and he can achieve, then oh, good luck to him. Who are we to say he shouldn't do it? I think it all depends on him. He, he knows his body. He knows how he felt on the night and he knows whether there's more left in the tank or not. So I think he'll have a rest and then he'll make the decision himself. But it's just, I don't think he can say he's finished after one night. No, neither neither do I. I think I agree with everything you just said there. Now, um, what is next for you, Callum? I know that it's still very, very fresh, but are you more than likely not going to be fighting again until 2019? What can you tell us at this stage? Um, Possibly, yes. No, I had a long, a long camp for that. I think the fight was made after our semi-final fight in February. We didn't actually fight till September. So it was seven months of constant drilling on George Groves and you know, thinking about the fight and training towards the fight. So you know, a good bit of rest and a bit of family time and just enjoy enjoy me win. I've, I said in the interview before, I've never really enjoyed any of my wins. I've always just done it and then looked to what was next and pushed on and always the aim is to become a world champion and I've achieved, achieved that I want to sit back and enjoy it for a bit and then we'll sit down with the team and we'll look what the next move is you know, I've achieved a world title but there's still a lot of other goals I want to achieve and I think now's, now's the start 
and Joe Gallagher has produced one world champion named Callum. In two days' time, he gets a chance at producing a second world champion, uh, both named Callum, um, in the space of eight days. Can Callum Johnson, your gym mate, beat Baturbiev on Saturday night? We're all hoping so. Yeah, he can. No, it's, a, it's a tough ask, and I think every everyone inside boxing knows it's, it's a very tough fight. Betty Bev's a, no, he's a feared man. Not many people wanted to take the fight, but... I had to believe if Callum, if, did, if Callum didn't believe he had a chance of winning it, he wouldn't have took the fight. He had other options. He was in a good position with his, with his title. And he obviously feels he, he's got the beating of him. And I've trained alongside him for this full camp. And you know, I, 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 I'll be honest, say I had the best camp I had as a professional. And I'm sure Callum will say the same thing. So he's in the best shape possible. And provided he goes over there and performs the way he knows he can, then you know, he gives himself a great chance of shocking the world and coming home a world champion. We all certainly hope so. Um, I hope I'm the first person to ask you this question, Callum, but I'm sure you'd have seen uh, the tweet that Dimitri Bivol put out. He said that he would he would be happy to come down to super middleweight to fight you. You both have got history in the amateurs. What's your response to his comments? Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the tweet, and I don't know whether he thought I've called him out or not, which I haven't, but we had a good fight in the amateurs. We boxed that middleweight in an international tournament, and oh, he's a very good fighter, and through boxing and I followed him through the, through the professionals and I was making big noise in the light heavyweight and of course it's you know, it's, a, it's definitely a fight for the future but you not know, the time being I'm staying at super middleweight I'm I'm comfortable after waiting I finally reached the top at this weight but there's still other fights that I want I want to make at this weight with the other champions and then we can look to maybe move towards seven five in the future I've definitely got the frame to do it but you know, for now I think there's a lot of unfinished business at super middleweight. Now, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but because you mentioned there you've, you've got other fights that you'd like to pursue, um, if you could give me one or two names, who is at the very top of your want list at this moment in your division? Well, I think, you know, all in good time, I would like to unify the division and I'll fight the other champions. I think after, after the weekend, people may consider me number one in the division, but there's a, a few fights out there with arguments you could say it's them. Gabriel Ramirez, a very good fighter. Benavidez, a very good fighter, and so's Ukatsuka, is it how you pronounce it? He's a very good fighter, and they're the type of fighters I want to mix with. I want to unify the division. After becoming world champion, the next goal is to unify. And by doing that, I need to beat one of them and cement my place at the top. So, you know, I'm looking forward to just being involved in big fights. And oh, George Groves, for me, was only the, only the start of you know, the big fight in my career. But is there one name amongst all the others that stands out that you'd like most to hear? Um, not really. I've got a no preference. I believe you know after two champions just named, they're all kind of as good as each other. I don't think there's a you know, a stronger or a weaker one out of three. Yeah, they're all kind of based in America, and that's what sort I'd love to do as well. I'd love to fight in America as well as fight in Liverpool. So I say I'm, I put myself in a very good position last weekend, and I want to take advantage of it. Absolutely, I like the David Benavidez fight. If I have to say so. Um, lastly, Callum, is there anything? Yeah. That, is there anything that you want to say at all just before we let you go? Any closing words from you? Um, no, just thanks to you know, everyone who supported me and backed me from day one. And you know, a few probably got a bit fed up waiting for me to get a world title shot, which I did. But another you know, the ones who stuck by me and still believed in me, I just want to thank them. And you know, my way of saying thank you is, you know, by winning a world title. Absolutely, very well done. And I'd like to end this by saying I'm so pleased that after all the messing around by the likes of Darrell and various others and all the waiting that you had to endure, you finally pulled it off on probably the biggest stage possible. Thank you so much for your time, Callum, and we'll certainly catch up sometime soon.
Anytime. Catch up soon, mate. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 155 of the BoxR Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show that could end up in a ring together sometime soon. The new WBA Super, WBC Diamond, and the Ring Magazine Super Middleweight Champion of the World, Mr. Callum Smith, and the Islington Icon that will fight just about anybody in the world, Mr. John Ryder. There are lots of Prediction League points up for grabs this weekend six in total you the listeners ended up voting for leon woodstock to beat archie sharp by way of knockout the prediction league currently stands at you the listeners in the lead on 60 points and myself and i as both tied on 58 points enjoy your weekends people good luck in the prediction league stay safe and we shall see you all next week